When you were young and a friend died, Solomon Stark reflected as he steered absently through the slush on the road to the municipal airport. You wept. But when you were past seventy, the tears did not come so easily, even though the loss was correspondingly greater. Instead, you felt the shuddering wind that was building up to gale force to blow you down too, in your turn, and driven onward by the wind, a swirling flood of reminiscence. At least the memories were less chilling than the frosty intimations of mortality, and if you had been lucky, there was a certain sweetness about them, as if flowers had been uprooted and were borne past you on the crest of the flood. Leo Land that strange man, his friend of forty years standing, had died the day before on New Year's Eve. Now Leo's son Ralph, having been away ten years and more, was flying out from New York to bury him and to find out what he and his older brother Max, carried off by a malignancy only the week before, had left behind. Ralph would find out a lot more than that before he was through. If not for me, Dr. Stark thought, in all likelihood, there would have been no land sons. But at this point he was uncertain whether it would be worthwhile to take credit for the consequences of his single exercise in matchmaking. When he had first met Leo, shortly after World War I, the druggist had been a shy young man, still a greenhorn, content to let Max do the pulling and hauling, both in their pharmacy and in their personal affairs. Left to his own and to the domination of a brother aggressively confirmed in bachelorhood, he would surely never have married. But Solomon Stark had intervened at last, after ten years, by introducing the timid schoolteacher daughter of some patients to his friend, who at thirty-nine was fifteen years her senior. With luck and a shove, he had married them off over the opposition of Max, already cracked and more excited by hoarding than by women. The years before Leo's marriage had been the best ones of their friendship. The doctor thought as he rolled through suburbs, still silently sleeping off the New Year's celebration. Not that they hadn't remained close thereafter, through the Depression, the war, and the rest, until the moment yesterday when he had leaned over the hospital bed and lowered Leo's blue-veined lids over his faded, lifeless eyes. But it was Leo's bachelor years, less careworn for them both, not yet marked by their mutual retreat to personal concerns, and punctuated with leisurely encounters and the exchange of intimacies that neither had ever been able to discuss with others, that had welded the bonds between them. The friendship would have continued, by occasional correspondence, even if one or both had moved away, and perhaps, the doctor thought wryly, that would have been easier on them both. Certainly, he himself would not now be stuck with a multitude of miserable problems that refused to follow either Max or Leo Land to their graves. Nor would he have had to watch over the years the slow dying of the glow in Leo's beautiful eyes as he cringed in the dusty depths of the store, shrinking from his brother's growing mania for the collecting of everything from bottle tops to broken scooters. Installed behind the brothers' pharmacy, in their dank and airless rooms, Jenny Caden Land had done her best to make a home, and within two years had presented Leah with two sons. All that she had succeeded in doing, however, 
was in confusing two men who had been committed bachelors, making their common life impossibly crowded, and squeezing out her brother-in-law to satisfy his eccentric cravings by pawing over garbage. As the boys grew, Jenny came to feel that she was losing them, to admiration of the wrong traits in their uncle, and worse, to hatred and disgust for their whole mean existence. In a last desperate effort to have something that would be all her own, she gave birth during the Second World War to her last son and drove out Max for good to the rambling relic of Victorian eccentricity that he had picked up for tax arrears. As for Leo, pinched in a vice between younger brotherhood and fatherhood, he had shrunk almost visibly, frightened by what was happening to his sons. In the process, he had lost whatever connection he and his wife had, however shyly established between them.